and their fossils. A group of United States and Israeli scientists say that Jesus walked on, and they're talking about how did he really pull this off, that Jesus walked on a thin float of ice formed a few that formed a few places on the lake. And as they study the lake, they're saying there has been times there's been uh, pieces of ice that have, have formed that way. Okay, let's think about that for just a minute because I want to make fun of that. Uh, I don't think there was a lanyard on any piece of ice. How did Jesus get it to go where he wanted it to go if he could be out there? And remember, he's trying to ride a piece of ice in sandals in a storm with the waves crashing. You know, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Uh, sometimes their explanations are more ridiculous than just accepting that he really did it. Well, they said that he found these, this rare ice deal and it happened to just lead him right to where the boat was. Uh, fortunately, the boat didn't get hit with the ice, I guess. But that's how they took care of it. They say ice was formed by a rare combination of weather and water conditions. Someone else has said that he was walking on rocks that were just under the water. That's another theory. And those rocks were sharp. I guess they had to be sharp so his sandals would have some grippy on the rocks so it didn't fall into the water. Uh, it is called the mystery mound by people, an ancient form uh, stone structure that they say is found just under the surface that is twice the size of Stonehenge. And Jesus just managed to have everything work out. It just all worked out for him that where he decided to go into the lake, he found these rocks just under the water, and he walked on them, and they just happened to lead to where the boat was three to four miles out in the lake, uh, if you can believe that. Others, like Catholic scholar John P. Meyer, said this is purely a theological narrative in the text, not meant to take literally, uh, and it is without, he said, historical foundation. It is, if you will, a metaphor. It's a picture of, of Jesus caring about people, but it didn't really happen. Someone you've heard of, Albert Schweitzer, believed that the disciples saw Jesus walking on the shore but were confused by, <laughs> confused by the darkness and the storm, calling it a pious legend. So these seasoned uh, seagoing guys are looking, they mistake that Jesus is dark, he's walking on the shore, uh, that's really what was happening. And so I'm, I'm, my next question is, uh, Peter gets out of the boat, did he sink in the sand on the shore, or what did Jesus rescue him from anyway? I don't know. Unbelievably to some, uh, there are still some ignorant small-town pastors, uh, poorly educated, who believe that Jesus actually, literally walked on the water without any gimmicks, without any, any uh, help or aid in any way. And I know that's true because I'm one of them. The point is also, what was Matthew trying to teach with this account? Did it really happen? Of course it happened. God doesn't lie to us. Uh, is there something that we need to be taught from this? Of course there is. And we want to look at it from Matthew's standpoint. So here's what happens. Matthew chapter 14, we begin in verse 22. And again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So the wind, it's an adverse wind to their, where they want to go. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus, he, came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost. 
and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Now we're going to leave Peter in the boat this week, we'll pick him up next time. But Jesus said, Take courage, it is I. In the Greek text, it doesn't say that. It says, Take courage, it is I, I am. Ego, a me. It is I, I am. You've heard that somewhere else in the Bible, and we're going to talk about that. Do not be afraid. As we look at this, let's go with verse 22. First of all, if you're following in your bulletin, and what it teaches is this. Jesus sometimes sends his followers into perilous situations. Jesus sometimes sends his followers into perilous situations. Now, you and I need to remember that. Did Jesus know that it was going to storm that night on the lake? Of course he knew it was going to storm. Did he know that they would be afraid out there and, and, and be fighting the waves? And it's difficult to do what Jesus told him to do. What did Jesus tell him to do? Go to the other side of the lake and that's where I'll meet you. <clears throat> and so they're on a mission from Jesus. They need to get to the other side of the lake. And it's treacherous out there. Let's keep that in mind. In just finished... Uh, we have the scene of a great miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. That just happened. They may have, there may have been fifteen to 20,000 people because the gospel writers only record the men that were present. There's children and there's women. So fifteen to 20,000 were fed that day, a great miracle. The problem that we have here was identified by the apostle John in John chapter 6. Let's look at that for uh, just a second. John chapter 6. And verse 15. What else was going on there? Here it is, John tells us. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him the king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So we have this great big crowd, could be 15, 20,000 people left. Uh, Jesus gets the disciples in a boat and says, Get yourself across the sea. He did it immediately. And we have another situation going on that Matthew didn't tell us about. But he says, the people were planning to make Jesus the king right then and there. Now, what should be going through your head is, only God has the right to know and tell when Jesus will be the king and when he will take his throne, and this isn't it. So Jesus needs to get out of that situation. The crowd had intentions of making him king. That's not going to work. This king has to go to a cross before he can get his kingdom. Uh, this they would do by force, John tells us. And this is not the way that the Father had planned for Jesus to take his rightful kingdom. This is wrong. This is not how it's supposed to be. The path to kingship for God is only the cross. Satan had already tried to derail that in chapter 4 in the wilderness testing of Jesus. He tried to derail that mission. And now he uses people to try to derail it again. These guys are going to try to make me king. Not going to happen. Not going to let that take place. So Jesus forces the disciples onto a boat and sent them away to the other side of Kinneret, which is the Sea of Galilee, probably to a location near Capernaum. Notice the speed at which Jesus did this. It says immediately. The first thing he does when he's done is head for the disciples, everybody in the boat, you're going to cross the sea. He made them get in the boat, and they were on their way. And it's a storm, and the storm is going to be furious. Now, what I also want you to note is this. Why did Jesus put them in the boat and get rid of them right away? Well, they know the crowd wants to make Jesus the king. They know they're going to do it by force if they have to. We're going to make you the king whether you like it or not. 
And he doesn't want his disciples getting involved in anything like that, so he removes them. Because they may not look like it, but they are leaders in Jesus' band. They are guys that hold some, some sway over others. And so Jesus puts them in a boat and says, you guys get out of here. And then he takes care of the crowd. Maybe he didn't want them possibly getting involved in that. The text doesn't say it, but I can't think of another reason why he would, except he also wanted to be alone with the Lord. So he's not going to be king now, and he sends the crowds away from him, and he tells them to go back to their homes. Now verse 23. After he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there all alone. It took a little time for Jesus to send the crowds away, I would imagine. I can't imagine that there weren't some people coming up to him after the sermon and after the miracle of the feeding and wanting to talk to him or wanting to be healed or something like that, Uh, but he manages to get them sent away. So however long it took him, uh, that's not recorded for us. But Jesus finds himself alone, and he went to stay, uh, he he wanted to stay that way, And he retreats up the mountain where it's going to be secluded, where no one's around. I have no idea how many trees were there, if he could not be seen where he went, but he's alone. And there are ways for us today to find seclusion, but I'm starting to think not so many. And there are ways for us today to find seclusion as well as Jesus found seclusion, where we can just sit and talk to God. And I want to challenge this this morning, because there are those ways. Uh, having, having been a, a camp backpack pastor for a few years up at Idrahaji, uh, one of the things we did with the kids in the Mount Evans Wilderness area, uh, before we got above uh, Alpine, we would divide, uh, well, we'd actually make the kids separate. Everybody had to pick a, a place on the side of the mountain behind a rock, behind a tree, uh, so other people aren't going to bother you. We don't want anybody going and talking to anybody else. Take your Bible and sit down and just you and God We're going to try an hour, and back then, uh, the social media wasn't such a big thing, so uh, we didn't really have any phones to contend with, and they didn't spend their time on Facebook or anything like that. They had a Bible in their face, and that was the book they used for their face. And they could read the scripture, they could pray, they could praise God. We didn't care how how, how that went, but we wanted them to spend time in quiet just with God and themselves, and that's all, no one else. Some people, I know, can't stand to be alone. Now, I will say we didn't see any wildlife except some birds when we were up there, but some people cannot stand to be alone. Some people can't stand quiet because if there's quiet, then they have to think about their problems. If they have to think about their problems, then they have to feel bad and they just don't want to do it. So tell me, when as a Christian have you been where you're reading the Word of God, praying, and praising him when do you make time to get alone with god just you and him with no distractions no phone i would say no tv uh, no radio nothing just you god the bible your prayers and your praises to him now matthew only mentions three prayer sessions that jesus had in his book one was 11 chapter 11 25 to 26 And then at Gethsemane in chapter 26, that we haven't gotten to yet, obviously, in verse 36. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus prayed all the time. We're always in an attitude of prayer. We should be. I don't know how many couples come into the counseling office and I ask three questions. Do you pray? Uh, Do you uh, pray? uh, Do you read your Bible? And then do you pray with your spouse? And it's usually yes, yes, no. Yes, yes, no. Uh, 
I don't know why spouses aren't praying together. That's something we also need to do, but we also need to pray alone. From the rest of the Gospels, we know that Jesus was in constant prayer. So this gives us a chance to ask ourselves the question, how much time am I spending in prayer alone? And I mean when you're not doing something else. Now, I guess you could drive down the road. We want you to pay attention to everything going on there, but I do a lot of praying when I'm going down the road, but I mean just by yourself alone. How much time do you spend in prayer? Just you and Jesus. I can't remember a time when those kids didn't come back from that uh, outing that we took them on and where they spent time with Jesus where they didn't say it really impacted their life to just be with God and no one else. Uh, How about just you alone uh, on purpose for prayer? Does God know that at this time on this day you're going to go aside and you're going to pray just you and him? Do we live in such a way, friends, as we actually need God? Our problem is we live in a society where we have everything we need. We have all kinds of recreational time. We have all kinds of money to spend on recreation. We make our lives so busy. We're running here. We're running there. And everything's working. And if the car breaks down, we can pay for it. If something breaks in the house, we can pay for that. Do we live in such a way as to need God? Do you recognize that he's in all that stuff? He's even in a situation where some... People, not all of them, where some people are in a boat and they're having a tough time out on the Sea of Galilee because it can be a rough lake. And they're seasoned seasoned people of the sea. And sometimes we know they get afraid, especially when they see something something happen that they've never seen before. We are commanded, friends, to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Can you name a time in your life, really, when you don't need God? Can you name a time in your life you can say, God, I've got it. I don't need to depend on you for this. This is a little thing. I can handle it. This is a big thing, and when that comes up, I'll bring it up to you, but I can handle all the rest of it. The truth is, no, we can't. We can't handle any of it. The Bible says if God didn't decree that we'd be alive, our food and our oxygen wouldn't keep us alive. When God says it's over, it's over. And whatever we depend on outside of him is not going to work. And I want us to remember that. In verses 24 to 25. But the boat was long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, so it's, it's early, really, really early in the morning, late at night, he came to them walking on the sea, right? So what I want us to learn there is that during the bombardment of the storm, by the way, that Jesus sent them into, Jesus is there in full control. I hope you heard that. If not, read it in your bulletin. During the bombardment of the storm, Jesus is there in full control. You know what that takes to believe that? Faith. (laughs) You know how God wants us to act when we are having trouble in life and things aren't going our way? With faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. You want to please God in a problem? Have faith. That's what he says to do. Interesting, uh, the word battered here is a word that conveys being subjected to severe distress, torment, or harassment. So I want to add something to the text here that may be going on with the word that was chosen. Would you turn back to Revelation chapter 9, verse 5? Revelation 9, verse It's the account of a bottomless pit that's opened up because it's full of demons that want nothing more than to harass and kill people. And they are let out of the pit like a great smoke of a furnace. 
and the sun and the air, it became dark with smoke. And then out of the smoke came what is described as locust demons upon the earth, and the power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. And it says in verse 4, they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads in this eschatological situation. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to, and there's our word that we have in Matthew, to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of scorpions when it stings a man. Same word Matthew uses. And I would like to say that what I think is going on here is that the battering of the waves in, in verse 24 is a spiritual issue that came up. And that the demons are causing the, the waves and the storm uh, against the disciples. And so there's a spiritual element to this, I think. When we look at John 6, 19, John tells us that the disciples were about three to four miles out in the sea. Now, yes, it's a long lake, but it's narrow, but that's still quite a ways out. And they were being battered. Mind you, many of these men have made their living on the lake. Matthew hasn't done that. He's a pencil pusher, so he might have been scared more than anybody. He's an accountant, and so he doesn't get out on the sea very much. But the rest of them, uh, this, this is not a good situation, and they know it. And the wind is averse to their desired course. So here, God sent them on a mission in a, in a place where there's going to be a storm, and where they're trying to go, there's adversity. It's, it's pushing against them, and they're not, not able to go without, much, uh, without a lot of work. Jesus is the one who sent them out on a journey, and they fought on in the journey. Just because Jesus sends you to do something doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be without trouble. So somewhere in verse 25, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., which is the fourth watch of the night, counted in three-hour increments from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Imagine you in the boat with them. Now, in your imagination, don't put me in the boat because I'm not a boat person. I would be on the shore, okay? But the rest of you, you're in a boat. It's stormy. It is dark. And you can make out with the lightning and stuff probably that there's somebody walking on the sea in the lake coming towards you. Here's something you don't see every day. They've never seen it. Surely, if we believe that Jesus, who is the God-man, who bore our sins on the cross and rose again from the dead, uh, if we believe that, we could probably easily believe that he did this without any issues, this miracle, without any props, without any rocks under the water, no tricks, and no illusions. He didn't have a boat, so he merely just walked to the boat. It's interesting, though, to try to imagine how that looked on a raging sea. Was he being tossed about and having to get his footing, or was it nice and smooth, the waves are crashing around him, and he, he just walks out there? Not a problem. See, you and I have a God that walks on water. So why do we think that he can't solve our little problems? In verses 26 to 27, the great I am is the end of all fear for believers. Do you believe that? The great I am is the end of all fear for believers. The disciples saw him walking on the water, not on the seashore. Uh, they know the difference between water and a seashore. 
They are terrified. That word means they're stirred up, they're troubled, they're frightened. I know I would have been, because that's not something you see every day. I don't know that they were expecting Jesus anytime soon or, or that he was going to be walking on the water. They guessed that it must be some kind of a shadow or a ghost doing this. From this word in the Greek, we get our word phantom. It is simply an apparition used especially of the description of ghosts. And by the way, there are no ghosts. Uh, I want to say again, because uh, I just ran into this the other day, uh, when your loved one dies, they're not going to come back and comfort you. And not like my grandma, who grandpa showed up at the end of her bed and said, Dad, how are She said, how are you, Dad? She said, he's fine. How are you? Uh, that was a familiar spirit with my grandpa, a demon, who appeared like my grandpa in the middle of the night to give my grandma comfort. And friends, you don't want comfort from a ghost, and you don't want comfort from a demon. If that happens, it's a demon. Deal with it. Uh, rebuke it and tell it to leave you because that is something they use to get you to depend on your safety and your comfort on them and not on God. And that is not where our safety and our comfort comes from. So we would have to do something about that. Those would be demons. But this isn't. This is Jesus. And he's not a ghost. He's still in the form of a God-man. And he does this as a man walking on the water. They will later say that Jesus looked like a ghost in his return after the resurrection, Luke 24, 37. Uh, we don't need to go look at that at this time. I'm sure their minds were trying to make some sense out of what they were seeing, but they came up with the wrong conclusion. It was Jesus in his human body, and he was walking on the water, and that's a bit unusual. Back in 1999, there were some people that got together, and they decided, wouldn't it be great if we could make it so that people could come and visit the Sea of Galilee or Gennesaret and that they could uh, walk on the water and people could take their picture just like Jesus walked on the water. And their plan was to build an underwater bridge that was wide enough that people could walk and not fall off just under the water so when you took your picture, people couldn't see that you were actually walking on this thing underneath the water. They never got it built as far as I can tell. Why would you want to be like Jesus walking on the water? What, what is going to happen after Jesus walks on the water and some days henceforth? He's going to be on a cross. And they didn't plan on putting crosses at the end of that bridge so you could go ahead and get crucified while you're at it. Why, why just walk on the water? Why do we want to pretend like we're Jesus? I don't know. And maybe some people with some better sense said, you know, this is ridiculous. It's a mockery. Let's don't build a bridge, because as far as I can tell, they never put it up. Uh, maybe they'd have here, since I wrote this 25 weeks ago, maybe they didn't. Why would you do that? I don't know. Uh, we don't want to play Jesus. We're not Jesus. Jesus did these things by the power of God. Now, uh, God has allowed people to do miracles. But the other issue is this. That takes away and it distracts from what's really going on here. I don't trust that I can walk on water because there's a bridge under it. I would trust I can walk on water. We'll get to that next week with Peter because of faith and the power of Jesus. And that had nothing to do with it. So to reiterate, uh, they reiterate they are in a boat that isn't doing so well. They are terrified about Jesus walking on the water and a storm coming to them. And I'm sure they always wondered, oh, I didn't know we could do that. Probably, what do we use a boat for? These are grown men yelling out in fear. 
They've spent many nights on the lake, and they've never seen this. But our focus should be where Matthew wants our focus to be. And what I think, if, if I could boil it down, I would say it's this. Jesus shows up in the midst of their peril. And I mean literally shows up. It is no less literal when he shows up for us today. Do you believe that? You have a God that walks on water. Do you have any problem that that God couldn't handle? The answer is no. Jesus shows up in the midst of our peril. Who sent him on the mission? Jesus. Who knew it was going to be rough? Jesus. Who shows up when they need him? Jesus. Too many times we're going through tough times. We think, God, you're not responding the way I want you to. You're not doing what I want you to do. You're not giving me what I want you to give me. And you must not even be here. You must not even care. And friends, that's a lie. That's never the truth. He is always there. And we need to seek his presence there. And calm our hearts there. Because he is there. So what is this about? Well, we tend to focus on the water walking to the point we want to build a bridge so people can look like they're walking on the water. And that's not it. In verse 27, Jesus commanded them to take courage, to not be afraid. So the next problem you run into, what you need to think about is I have a God who walks on water and what he's saying to me is take courage. Don't, don't trust in other people. Trust in God and take courage because he is there. Take courage. You don't have to be afraid. Fear kills faith. And once you have your faith killed, you're in trouble. Fear it is not, it is not a, a, something that God gives people uh, just to scare them to death. It is, a fr it is not a friend of faith. It is a foe of faith. Why Jesus? Why should we not be afraid? And I'm glad we asked that. We should not be afraid because of what he says in the verse. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and he said, Ego eimi, I, I am. I, I am. We go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, which is where I'm headed right now. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. God speaking to Moses, who's talking to a burning bush, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you will say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. You know who I am is? It's Yahweh. Jesus says, the reason you don't have to be afraid is because I, I am. Don't be afraid. I am God. I am your, I am your keeper. I am your helper. I am your strength. I, you come up with a problem I can't handle. It's not possible. He can handle everything. And Jesus wants you to know that when you're in the midst of a problem, you need to hang on to him. You need to remember who He can do anything that he wants to do, and he's got you, and he's got you in his hands. He is God in the flesh, the great I am, the God of creation, and the God of, universe, of the universe. Uh, in my life group, we've been studying uh, the end times events, and it gets pretty depressing. And tonight I'm going to just bypass what we had next for us, and I'm just going to spend time in the text reminding us how much God loves us and how we can depend on him and how he's there at every step of the way. There is no problem that you can face that he isn't greater. He is, 
He is the great I am. He is the God of creation. He's the God of the universe. He can handle whatever comes your way. So there is no need for fear because here he is. He said, I am. I'm here. This is me, God of the universe. The storm is still raging at this point, but Jesus brings peace to the hearts of those in the storm, enough peace that one of them decides, hey, I'd like to walk out there on the water, and so I'm just going to ask Jesus if I can come out. So listen, there may be a storm raging in your life, but Jesus can bring peace to your heart in those storms because of his presence. Do you see that? What is more, do you believe that? I mean, for you personally, not for your neighbor, not for the church, but for you personally, do you believe that? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God will honor your faith. God doesn't honor fear. It also demonstrates that Jesus has full control over all of nature. No human could walk on a small, small and sharp rocks that are under the water in a raging storm and stand up and make any progress. Jesus didn't walk on rocks under the water. How ridiculous. You've got to be kidding me. Every time that a person tried to make a miracle more to our scientific minds, they degrade and strip the resurrection of its significance and power. And I'm sure the enemy likes that to happen. The enemy likes uh, people in science to come along and say there are no miracles, there's never been miracles, that can't happen. And so we'll come up with another explanation, no matter if it's even more ridiculous than what we're trying to believe here. I want to remind you of something. Jesus gave this warning in Matthew 5, 19. Whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same. You know what he's saying? Whoever takes the word of God and says, that's not really important, that little thing, don't worry about it, God's not worried about it. Jesus says, if, if you're a teacher and you teach others, don't worry about that part of my word, don't worry about it because it's just a little thing. It says, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, the little things and the big things, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We don't have a right to bypass any part of God's word, let alone a miracle that God said that Jesus performed. And so we, we don't do that. If Jesus couldn't walk on water, how can I believe he can raise from the dead? He could, I believe, if he wanted to. For all I know, he's walked around on the moon before he's, you know, come here. Stop over, look it over. No problem. He could do it. Uh, he could fly to the heights of Mount Everest in, in, in a millisecond if he wanted to. And he wouldn't have to have an oxygen bottle when he got there. He could do anything he wants to do. There are no limitations on the ability of our great God. Do you believe that? There are no limitations on the ability of our great God. Who do we think we're talking to? Well, I think we think we're talking to I am. Well, let's treat him that way. You and me both. Matthew's point, Jesus is God. And Jesus comes to us in the midst of the storms of life. He is the one who calms our fears. I think that's what Matthew wanted us to see. And he will also save our souls. And I think that's also what Matthew wants us to see. Let's take a peek at our applications for today, shall we? First of all, number one, if there is peril ahead of us in our mission, know that Jesus will be with us. 
And let's make that more personal, shall we? If there is peril ahead of you in your mission, know, believe, trust that Jesus will be with you. Secondly, be still and know that he is God. The psalmist told us that. Quit fretting, quit worrying, quit, quit doing what you're doing to try to make things right when you can't make it right or do things you can't do without his help. Be still and know that he is God. He is in complete control. Nothing is outside of his power or his control. Whether he's walking on water or parting the Red Sea, he's there. And number three, Matthew wants us to know, fear not, because he, I am, is with you. Remember, fear kills faith. And finally, I want us to remember that fear is dispelled by the presence of Jesus. There is never a time that Jesus is not with you. Never. If you feel like he's not there, you feel like you're all alone, it's not Jesus. It's you or I who have moved away, not him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this miracle. I want to thank you for what it teaches. We have nothing to fear because the God who made everything and controls everything loves our hearts and watches over us. And if he sends us into a storm, he will always show up. May we see you in that and may we trust you in that. And I pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.